0: Welcome back to the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. I am sitting here today at the Kansas Star Casino. We uh, left the, left the uh, studio and I am joined by Ducks Unlimited and I uh, couldn't be more happy to be here. I'm with uh, Johan Walker and uh, John Ritchie with uh, Kansas Ducks Unlimited and Matt Huff and I uh, well, for our listeners out there um i don't know if maybe you want to go around the room and introduce yourselves
1: matt you want to tell a little bit about who you are and where you started at and how we got here absolutely matt huff i'm the manager of conservation programs for ducks unlimited kansas so i oversee our conservation delivery efforts here in the state Um, i'm from eastern oklahoma a little small town beef cattle ranch Um, uh, went to Oklahoma State, ended up with a master's in uh, wetland ecology and in hydrology, and always had a lot of passion for for wetlands and um, <clears throat> waterfowl and all all of the above, all the wildlife that use them. Um, and then I remember when I defended my thesis, uh, they asked me, "What well, what do you want to do now?" And I said, uh, "I want to work for Ducks Unlimited." So. Uh, I had a plan and here we are today. So I'm really happy, really satisfied with, uh, with the direction we've, we've gone. And, uh, I live in Grand Island, Nebraska, um, out of our, our, uh, our field office there. Uh, but I, uh, I'm down in Kansas a lot, do a lot of driving and, and visiting, visiting folks down here. That's awesome.
0: And, uh, John Ritchie, you're the, uh, senior, um, regional, regional, regional director, director yep. for Ducks Unlimited yep. and, uh, John and I have known each other for 20 years. We were trying to figure it out yeah. earlier, and
2: we don't know for sure. Right. And I'm getting older, so that maybe that's – I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah. But it was somewhere 20-some years yeah. ago, and uh, we were up at Manhattan. And so, John, you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, John Ritchie, I'm Senior Regional Director for Kansas. Um, I've been on with you for about 21 years now. Um very fortunate and blessed to have this job for the people that I work with and the people that I meet, um, my job, which I'm sure we'll get to it in in a slight bit is, uh, fundraising on the grassroots level. Um, did my undergrad in Emporia state and, uh, my masters uh, was done at the university of Denver. Um, so yeah, uh, like, Matt had said, and this is a common thread that you'll probably hear with a lot of staff from DU is, uh, you know, it's a great place to work. And, uh, you know, you, you wake up and you still smile even after 21 years. That's so, awesome. Yeah, that's really good. So, yeah. And Johan
0: Walker, you're, uh, you're with DU on a, on a bigger level. Yeah,
3: so at the regional level, I'm Johan Walker, director of conservation operations for the Great Plains region for Ducks Unlimited out of our Bismarck regional office. And so that takes in seven states, the Dakotas, Montana. Colorado, Wyoming, Nebraska, and Kansas. That's the DU's Great Plains region. And I've been with DU in the region for 19 years now, or this is my 19th year. I went to, grew up in Missoula, Montana, did my undergraduate, and at the University of Montana, did graduate work in the boreal forest of Alaska studying scop and other diving ducks up there with the University of Alaska Fairbanks and then finished a PhD working in the in the prairie pothole region not 15 years ago or so while I was working for DU. I've been grew up in similar kind of rural circumstances and just have loved wetlands as long as I can remember. I mean I often tell people that As a kid, I was always drawn to wetlands because no matter what time of day it was or what time of year it was, even in the wintertime, there was always something going on where that forest met that water. And and I just have always felt very drawn to that. So I feel pretty lucky, much like John said, you'll hear this from almost all of us who've been with DU a long time to have found the right people to do something I care so much about with. And I'm lucky to work with volunteers and staff who are equally passionate doing something that means a lot to me. Absolutely, absolutely. On. And Ducks Unlimited, um,
0: I think most of our listeners out there probably know the name Ducks Unlimited and and, and it's it's really a class act organization. Um, as we kind of touch base on here, I personally have, have been associated or, or a volunteer in some capacity with Ducks Unlimited off and on, basically kind of since I got got started in the hunting if you will and and um through pattern string we work with a lot of different organizations um and you know you guys are a class act and and we're just it's something that i've always had as a part of 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 my life and 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 i really appreciate it and and it's that thread that you talk about that that common commonality of of people um you know it's it's something you can always kind of fall back to draw to and, and at the end of the day, you know, if you don't have the conservation side of it, then you're not going to have, you know, that, that hunting side of it, if you will. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know, maybe you guys want to talk just a little bit about, you know, I think a lot of people know the, the fundraising side of it, um, Ducks Unlimited and, and maybe the magazine and stuff like that. But maybe talk about where do those dollars go and, and, and how are they spent when, you know, after the banquet's done and, and everybody goes home. Uh, you guys want to maybe tackle that, um, where, where the money goes?
3: Yeah, I'm willing to jump in at the level of the region, yeah. yep, and even broader than that, and then we'll kind of bring it down to some specifics and hopefully give give everyone a, a better picture yeah. of how that works. So it's important to start from the place, and, and most folks who've been been to a banquet have heard this, but what does it mean? DU is a habitat organization, a continental organization organization, a group of three companies that take in Canada, Mexico, and the US with the idea that in order to conserve a migratory waterfowl resource at that scale, you have to have a full life cycle operation. And so all of our fundraising, all of DU's fundraising is directed at raising money to conserve habitat that produces that, basically that substrate, that floor under that giant population of waterfowl that's migrating back and forth across North America. We've been doing that for over 85 years now. And it comes down to using science to guide the expenditure of those dollars, right? So first thing you want to know is what do ducks need? And that turns out to be wetlands, lots of them, small ones, things like that, right? And grasslands for nesting, so once you know that from science, and you can always continue refining your scientific understanding, and we do today, but once you have that in place, then you have a sense of where those dollars need to go. And in the Great Plains, where, where Matt and I do a lot of conservation work, it's an interesting problem, because it's a highly agriculturally used, privately owned landscape for the most part. So we're not managing giant tracks of BLM with federal agencies out in the West. We're working driveway to driveway a lot of the time with private landowners to try to find ways to keep those wetlands and that nesting cover that ducks need on the landscape. I think, Matt, you can probably talk a bit about some of the specific things you do in Kansas and how that work works every day, but that is where the money goes. It pays for folks like us to work out there on the landscape and put acres on the ground. Yeah.
0: And with regards to that, I mean, um, well, with that money, um, before we got started today, we were kind of talking and, and I don't remember if it was Matt or Johan, which one of you said it, but, um, you, you talked about that the ducks were, um, the average life, uh, mm-hmm. the life, the lifespan of a, of a, of a mallard and maybe, which, who was it, Yon, were you the one that said that?
3: Yeah, I might have pointed out, probably did, that one of the things we know about the ducks that we harvest the most, the mallards, the pintails, the teal, you know, the ducks you think of when you when you think about your last strap this fall, they are, their populations are driven by reproductive success. They don't live very long. And a mallard might live two and a half years. A teal might only live a year and so it's really important that those ducks are successful in their reproductive efforts and we invest a lot of money in the boreal forest and prairie pothole region breeding grounds prairie pothole region in the great plains is really the eastern half of north and south dakota and montana just a strip of montana north of the missouri river and those are some of the highest natural wetland densities on the planet it hosts almost half of north america's duck population I should back up a little bit. I'm rattling off a lot of facts here. But the, the entire Prairie Pothole region takes in parts of five U.S. states and three Canadian provinces. So think of Saskatchewan, Alberta, and Manitoba all the way up to the tree line. Think of the eastern Dakotas, like I described, and Montana, north of the Missouri River, but east of the mountains. And then a little strip down into central Iowa and western Minnesota. The whole thing is about the size of Texas, roughly, and takes in all of those different governments and all of that private land I talked about and hosts about half of North America's waterfowl resource during the breeding season. So that's a big focus of our work. But as you get down into those other states that I talked about, the places like Kansas and Nebraska, we'll kind of focus in on that. Colorado and Wyoming also have habitat like this. But in Kansas, you have those large staging marshes like Cheyenne Bottoms, like Cavera, like Jamestown Marshes that are really important stopover sites for birds migrating back and forth between wintering areas on the Gulf Coast and the Mississippi Alluvial Valley and those breeding grounds in the Prairie Pothole Region and the Boreal Forest. And that's where a lot of our migration work, we call it, or wintering work even some years, yep. goes on. And Matt really is our expert on that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. Matt, do you want to touch base a little bit on that? Sure.
1: Yeah, we uh, got a pretty diverse program. A lot of it um, started, um, I think we started in in Kansas in the the mid to late 80s, um, before my time, of course. But um, a lot of that was focused on public lands. We did a lot of work a long time ago in McPherson Valley Wetlands and Cheyenne Bottoms and some of those complex at Jamestown. Um, since I've been involved, um, we've continued that good work. We've expanded to a lot of our, our wildlife areas, our refuges, public areas. Um, but but in recent years, we've also gotten a lot busier in private lands. Um, Kansas is ninety over 98% privately owned, 49th in the nation in public lands, just uh, right above Rhode Island. So. There's a lot of opportunity to do good work, but it's going to be on private lands and and those wetland resources there. So, um, conservation easement delivery, cost share on restorations, helping deliver Farm Bill programs, uh, a lot of technical assistance, how to how to control your cattails, how to how to manage your wetlands, and and all that goes into uh, being kind of a cog in the greater machine do you uh, as a as a stopover site so we're 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 catching them in the fall um, feeding them uh, all those f- rich food resources and vertebrate seed production is what we're really focused on but also catching them in the spring and through the winter sometimes like johan said but that spring uh, uh time frame is really critical that we have good wetland resources and a drought year like this year it's natural but uh not as not the food rich resources and, and wet wetlands that we like to see this time of year so um, but having having a lot of uh, the, that diversity of programs we work a lot in the western part of the state and the playas a lot in the central part of the state with those big salt marshes are uh, but also in the east, you know, above some of our reservoirs and a lot of private landowners, Meridian, Neosho River valleys. Um, so having all that different diversity of programs and delivery and conservation kind of spreads out the uh, hedge our bets a little bit that somewhere out there we'll have some good uh, good opportunities for habitat for those birds.
0: Yeah. And I've, I've known just in the 20 plus years I've been a part of Ducks Unlimited, I think that, you know, 20 plus years ago or 20 years ago, there was very little in the state of Kansas that Ducks Unlimited had their, you know, their hand in. And now it seems like there's much more of it popping up. And I think, um, again, when we were talking, you guys had just mentioned, um, you know, just here locally for for those of our listeners that are, you know, here in southern Kansas, you had mentioned you guys just um, purchased a a piece of property uh, down by the Wellington Lake.
1: Yep. Yeah, just recently closed um, mid to late last year uh 80 acre property we just came on the market and had a lot of wetlands on it and we looked at it and uh our biologist uh abe lawler he lives in garden city but he's from derby and he knows the area around wellington real well and Mm -hmm. he reached out to the city uh, that owns the lake and they Brought to our attention, there's some nitrate issues in the lake, and you know they're looking for ways to clean that water. So that's that's one of those ecosystem services of of wetlands, not just waterfowl habitat, but they also help clean water, recharge aquifers underneath, um, reduce flooding, reduce the energy of that water. Uh, so there's a lot of really good things that wetlands do that people may not think about. And in this particular case, we're we're um, going to restore wetlands. Uh, on that property to both provide habitat, it's going to be uh, providing public access. We're going to get it in the walk-in program right this year, Uh, but also um, catch sediment from the neighboring farm fields, catch a lot of that nitrate and phosphorus runoff uh, that's going to help clean the water before it gets into the lake. So uh, the city's excited. We had a meeting there and uh, we're trying to figure out a way to get it then transferred to the city and let them maintain it. And they do allow waterfowl hunting on the lake itself. Yeah, that's actually where I my very first um,
0: blind, if you will, mm-hmm. um, was there at Wellington Lake. And man, we I mean back in the, the back in the day we we hammered the the greenheads and the Canadians. It was mm-hmm. it was a, a lot of memories there there's some quail and some pheasants and deer it's a pretty pretty cool yeah there's a it's a really diverse area and it's it's interesting that you you kind of touch base on that because people hear ducks unlimited and they don't realize that just because you're focusing on you know wetlands if you will or the prairie potholes that you you know that talked about but there's it, it it everything benefits from that i mean it's not just the the waterfowl that benefit from it there's so much more that that benefit from it kind of what you had just talked about, that these, these funds and these dollars that you guys are out there, you know, John, you're out there raising them and, and, and where it all goes to. Um, John, if you want to maybe touch base a little bit on, on your side of it, if you will, as a, as a director, regional director, um, Kansas, events and that kind of stuff.
2: Yeah. Uh, So um, I uh, am the first step, I guess in, uh, doing uh, raising of funds. And when uh, when I say that, that's done through local volunteers uh, in different communities. And we put on banquets and we have money. And um, this kind of segues back to <clears throat> Matt and what he said about, um, you know, that $1 that we get, uh, we're able to leverage that um, many different ways and different partners, uh, I don't know, three, four times, maybe higher. Yep. Uh, so that $1 is pretty important. Um, you know, and I, we can have Matt maybe talk about the North American wetlands conservation act, which is huge, uh, for what we do. Yeah. So, and when you're saying $1, you're talking about the dollar that was raised locally,
0: mm-hmm. you're taking that dollar. And of course you have operational expenses, right? Um, but with that dollar, you're able to take it and get grant money, uh, federal, state, different different grants, and 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 leverage that dollar into yeah. more more funds than what was just raised. But you got to have that seed money, so right. to say. And uh, without that, and without the volunteers and stuff, that, you know, well, an
2: interesting fact, uh, Kip, is that uh, our bylaws state basically, that we have to maintain an efficiency of over 80%. So out of that one dollar, you know, and it fluctuates from year to year, but uh, you may get 86 cents on the dollar uh, worth of conservation or, or whatever. Um, but we are we always try to strive to be at 80% or above, which, you know, as far as a um, non-profit that's that's excellent yeah and when you're saying the 86 percent or 80 percent you
0: know, bylaws you're not talking you're not taking into account the 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 grant money it's that dollar and then from there it has to go so it's not i mean that's pretty if you put that into perspective especially from a business model i mean that's that's a pretty big yeah that's pretty big undertaking and 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 it's to be commended with that john how many in, in the state of kansas maybe i'm putting you on the spot in the state of kansas how many different active chapters
2: do you have Uh, we're um i think about 80 or sorry excuse me 65 uh throughout the state um we have one in goodland kansas which is in the northwest corner we got one in the south east corner we've got one in the southwest corner in liberal um and then a myriad of, of chapters a lot more um around kansas city um obviously the eastern part of Kansas is probably because it's more heavily populated uh with population density have more chapters there than we obviously do out west but we cover the whole state mm-hmm. so and and within that you've got
0: you're the senior regional director you also have a couple of other individuals as well and that, yep. that help you
2: yeah we've got uh a regional director in the eastern third uh and then the western uh half and uh, so yeah we've um we do a lot i mean uh, last year um and this i'm gonna have matt hop into this but uh last year we raised in the in the state 1.5 million dollars i'm gonna ask matt how much do you think we spend Mm -hmm. you know it's it's way over one and a half million so our
1: public lands, uh, or public uh, income is what we call it. That includes our grant dollars on all the other funds that go into that. We we've been breaking over two million dollars annually in delivery in the state. When I when I started in Kansas, I think our budget was like thirteen thousand dollars or something like that. Is what we were doing. It was basically just enough to gas money to go check out some projects but through that work we just continued to build and build and And that was 11 years ago uh more recent than that in kansas i started in nebraska it's probably about eight years ago nine years ago
0: so in eight years you guys have gone from (laughs)
1: less than
0: less than (laughs) twenty thousand dollars to in the millions that's just uh, awesome and that's a testament to the work that y'all do
1: we've secured in grant dollars last year we secured um about nine million dollars for kansas so we have we'll deliver that over four or five years
0: but. yeah and so basically what you're to, to, to kind of clear that up is what you're saying is is that one point you said five million john yeah 1.5 1.5 million dollars worth of, of kansas volunteers people uh you know um their dollars Went to Ducks Unlimited, but you put back in uh, a substantial amount more than that. Correct. And so, you know, a lot of times, what we we hear with these um, local chapters, because again, with 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 the shop here, we we work with Whitetails Unlimited and and Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever and all of them. Um, but we hear, you know, where do those local local dollars go? And, you know, or, or our local funds, we're, we're raising this money where do the local funds go. And, and all those other animals are a little bit different in and of their, their, you know, they don't fly from one side of the continent or, or even to, you know, to, to the other. But, but even with that being said, you guys are, are bringing, you're, you're spending more money in the state of Kansas than what the state of Kansas is, is spending bring it Yeah, yep. bringing in. Yep. And that's just amazing. And you know, maybe on, maybe i to put you on the spot, but.
3: How does that equate similar in, in other states? Yeah, that's, that's true in general. So those states I listed off earlier, you know, they contain what, three out of the five states in the US with only one area code. So we don't have a lot of people in the Great Plains, right? Even in Kansas, which is one of our most populous states. And we still have a lot of passion and raise a lot of money, but we have to put more of that private money into the Great Plains because of how important it is for waterfowl. And it's a real testament to Matt and his team that they've built up that program so rapidly by taking advantage of these opportunities. Matt, I wanted to ask you just quickly, what was your total budget? So you talked about the public side. Was that just the public side you were talking about Mm -hmm. there? And then you have a private side investment too that comes directly from... Fund major gift fundraising and other fundraising that DU does. So, what was your total Kansas budget in any given year these days?
1: I think our private side's about in 300,000 or so. So, you're
3: in three to 500,000, mm-hmm. kind of. And then, an additional that's this is the key to a really important point that Matt raised. So, that funding doesn't sound like a lot, but it unlocks all of that public funding. Like in the fine print of all those federal grants and state grants, it says you must have non-federal or non-state match. And that match allows us to really leverage. Leverage is a troublesome term because I know that probably a handful of financial people out there are shaking their heads. So what we're saying is we're multiplying, we're extending our reach by factors of four and five out there on the landscape using those contributions from our supporters.
0: It's pretty impressive yeah, work, very impressive, and it's just it, it it's to me it's fascinating because I'm I'm kind of a numbers guy, you know, having businesses and stuff like that. So to hear that, um, it's just it's crazy to hear, and then and then that growth that you talk about that quickly. Um, and it's it's also it's a little different because it's growth, and you're thinking, you know, from a business mind, you're thinking growth. But then, you guys are it's a conservation, but that's your business is conservation. And so, um, you know, I think that's just a huge, huge testament to you know the organization itself and and what you guys do and the hard work that you guys put into it and 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 everything. And man, it's just it's it's absolutely it's it's really cool to me to hear hear that, um, Johan. With regards to more of of the regional look of it how does that work with regards to going across the the canadian border and Mm -hmm. how do you how does that work with these funds and 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 how are our canadian friends how do they fit into the mix
3: so ducks unlimited writ large like i said earlier is three companies ducks unlimited mexico and the caribbean which is its own company. Ducks Unlimited Incorporated, which is the Ducks Unlimited we're all most familiar with here in the U.S. And then Ducks Unlimited Canada, which actually is a year or two older than Ducks Unlimited Incorporated. And that's kind of an interesting story too. When when DU Inc. first started in the U.S., they just held fundraising banquets in the U.S. and sent all of the proceeds to conservation work in Canada. And that was the the normal model of business operations for DU until 1984 when we opened the first regional office in the U.S. and started doing habitat projects here. And in fact, Ducks Unlimited's first on the ground habitat project in the U.S. was in North Dakota in the Great Plains. So getting back to your question, there is a transfer of funds still today from Ducks Unlimited Inc. to Ducks Unlimited Canada, which provides them with the same kind of opportunity to use that match, that private money, to extend their reach in a variety of ways. You, Matt and John both brought up the North American Wetlands Conservation Act. Well, that's a nineteen late 1980s era law. I'll, I'll be careful because the exact year eludes me in this conversation but (laughs) late 1980s era the north american waterfowl management plan was written in 1986 the north american wetlands conservation act was passed and created a fund to fund that plan and that fund requires this match that we talk about and much of it goes to to canada so a certain amount of that money is eligible to be matched and used on projects in Canada. So Ducks Unlimited Inc. sends Canada money each year. They use that to match provincial and Canadian federal government grants, as well as NACA North American Wetlands Conservation Act grants. They also generate a fair amount of money. Another really important point that was raised earlier is that we're becoming a lot more aware of how important it is as as the number of hunters and the, the hunters as a proportion of the population kind of diminish across the continent. For better or worse, you know, sometimes I like it when the parking lot's empty, but I also think I don't want it to get too empty. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're all hunters here, right? I want hunting to continue in the way that brought me to the place I am now, but I also recognize there are a lot of folks out there who will never hunt and may never be interested. But I believe firmly, and I think everybody at the table does, that they should care about wetlands absolutely, for all the reasons that were listed. And so especially in Canada where they have a much smaller overall population and a smaller population of hunters as a proportion, they've worked a lot to open up new funding sources via corporations and federal government and provincial government sources to do wetlands conservation work up there using some of that private money that that gets sent up there. So that's kind of how that's very complex that works. and intricate. Yeah, I mean our ambitions are so huge, right? Kip, we're gonna we're gonna protect and conserve and sustain this giant one of earth's greatest animal migrations right across a huge continent and all these governments and so i think you get these passionate people together and it's like a it's like a lock, locked room challenge right like yeah. how are we going to get out of this and <laughs> what how how can we do the most, most we possibly can do with what we've got here Many of us are probably familiar with that old story, Stone Soup, right? Yep. I liken a lot of the work that you know, folks like Matt or I do, to going in a room and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm, we're making Stone Soup. What do you got?" And we all kind of put it on the table. And like you said, it gets complex when we do that, but each step kind of builds us up a little more. We did, I think, Ducks Unlimited did its first 15 million acres in something like took 70 years or something like that to get to 15 million. We're now cranking out close to a million acres, over half a million acres every year with a stretch goal of getting to a million acres of conservation every year. That's just amazing.
0: Of those acres, is there a number? do Do you have you figured it out yet? Do you have to go back? And something that you've done before that needs to be changed or it didn't, it, it didn't work out like you did. I mean, it's science you're, you're, you're working on. It. Is there stuff that you go back and and redo of those acres? Or is those, are those all new, you know, groundbreaking, if you will, acres that Texas touch, touched? And maybe you don't know that. I'm just asking it uh, uh, off the cuff, out of curiosity.
3: Well, I think you can speak to this in Kansas, Matt, and speak to it about management, too. But I'll say at a broad scale, yes, we do. I mean... We all know what the world is like. You build a bridge and it lasts for as long as a bridge lasts. Mm-hmm. So if you restore a wetland using a water control structure, that's a type of infrastructure too that has to be maintained and restored. Occasionally things get sediment in them or you get invasive species. So there's a there's a management burden associated with some of that work. There's often kind of a sense in conservation, at least in some conversations I get in about when would we be done with, with this job? And in the first decade or so of my career, I, I thought about that question a lot and tried to come up with plans that, you know, this is what the world would look like if we were done, if ducks were safe forever and ever and wetlands were. And I think that's a really useful question, but it's not really, I've come to think it's not the right one in the world we live in. We're always going to be coming back. There's always going to have to be entities and people who care about wetlands if we want to have this resource. So I don't know, Matt, speak to sort of some of the specific kind of projects and Mm -hmm. partnerships you have to build to keep that. Absolutely. that maintenance level stuff happening
1: yeah it's a good combination you know i think naca even when it started it was real focused on new acres we're, we're going to count all these new acres but as as time has progressed like johan said that infrastructure falls apart and uh a lot of times we're uh i think the first naca grant in kansas was at cheyenne bottoms and uh that was 1989 to 1991 time frame so a lot of those structures and pumping uh pipelines and things they're that need to be replaced and that's where we're at and then we had that uh or bring back the bottoms fundraising initiative for that very reason because it was a lot of that infrastructure was originally in the 50s kind of another rehab in the 80s and it was just time so we've got that everywhere well
0: you know? and you're dealing with mother nature right mm-hmm. absolutely so there's you know <laughs> time and and we keep water. having
1: 100-year flood events every three years, so that, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't help either. Right. Uh, but to to that point, you know, I look at it as like preventative health care, right? It's a lot cheaper and easier to keep on top of that stuff year year to year and keep those cattails at bay and keep those trees from encroaching into your wetland versus, you know, a lot of people's approach over the years was, okay, we did it. Walk away, you know. And you can't do that with wetlands. There's there's no finish line. You're, it's just ongoing for, you know, long past our careers for
0: sure. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that we we've touched about and talked about just sitting right here, and and um, if I if I back up just a little bit for the listeners um, and for those of you two, the three of you as well, um, we just had a, a podcast with uh, Pope and Young, and one of the things that we talked about um, on Pope and Young was the organizations and how they all fit together and, and how important it was because um, I believe uh, we had Dylan Ray on and, and he had mentioned, I think the number was 21% um, uh, was of the population was 100% anti-hunting, didn't like it, no way, no how. And they were, you know, obviously that's a minority, but the, as a minority, they stuck together and they're, their voices are seem to be the ones that's always moving this 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 needle if you will and that we as a as hunters we you know we may be waterfowl hunters but a lot of us will also be deer hunters or a lot of us will also be upland game hunters or you know predator hunters or whatever but we all um you know have a common commonality or common goal and how important that is to you know to not just be laser focused because If you're laser focused, then you don't realize that kind of Johanna, what you had said is we have less and less hunters that are going. And that opportunity, I mean, I know I can just speak for myself that, you know, from the landscape, if you will, of hunting in just this area used to be when I, when I was, you know, before I went to college, I could count on one hand all the places that I couldn't go hunting. And now I can count on one hand all the places that I can go hunting. Mm -hmm. and and i guess when i took to clear that up even more is without asking permission i just knew you know i could go hunt that no problem and now the amount of places that i have to to you know don't have to to ask permission i can count on one hand so just that alone the ability to hunt has has become more difficult and with that's going to mean you're going to have more limited you know hunters and stuff and so i think you're you're exactly right with what you're saying is is that be careful what you wish for because you might end up if you're the only car out there then you know you're a, a alone right. on an island
2: yeah so uh just real quick uh the one thing that's really neat with the du projects as a whole about 90 percent of them are open to hunting um the 10 percent is not because it's private you know done for private people it's done for refuges and things like that so um you know we are we're obviously a hunters' organization. Um, I would tell you that uh, the best conservationists are the hunters, um, and they, alluding to what you had said earlier, um, you know, they enjoy the sport there's a passion. Man, um, it it trans- it transcends a mere mere sport. It's kind of a religion, and and. They want that to be able to pass down to their children and their children's children. Um, and so, you, you know, that's, like I said, I, I there's 300 people running around here today that are Ducks Unlimited members uh, in this casino, and uh, they're the best conservationists because they care. Yep. So um, we, and, that, and that's with everything, and I'm sure the other organizations, uh, conservation organizations, and say the same thing. You know, as a whole, we, uh, Ducks Unlimited, um, we have a singleness of purpose, and that's wetlands. Um, We can't really do, wouldn't know much about uh, doing elk habitat, but as a whole, all these conservation organizations are great and need, need to happen for for us to continue to do what we love,
0: yeah, and I think that's a great point. Is is that um, you know when in the previous podcast when we talked about hunting, hunt, hunters and and outdoorsmen, if you will, to take it to probably put it even even more um, broad because that's really what it is. Because there is, I mean, I even catch myself. I can remember being younger, and it was all about how many birds did we shoot, and or you know deer hunting. Right. You know how big was the deer or, yeah. or and, and I catch myself more and more I did like mean, we went I went uh, waterfowl hunting two or three times this year and had more than enough opportunities to grab my shotgun, but I just let everybody else shoot. It yeah. was just just watching them, you know, cupped up and yeah. coming in and just that that feeling. That magic. Yeah, yeah. And just and my wife always jokes around, you know, we'll be driving somewhere and I mean, even today driving up, I saw you know, a group of about eight or ten Canadians and they were graders. And they were just, you know, coming into a yeah. pond and how, I don't know that, that, that feeling that you get in, mm-hmm. in, in, in your chest of just, and, and for me, what I really like is when they start dipping their wings yeah. and, they, you know, they're dropping and, and my wife just, she laughs at me. She's just like, you're just, it, you're just ate up with it. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and that's that passion that, that the hunters have. So, but to take that and to expect somebody that's, you know, a, a, a an avid. You mentioned elk hunter mm-hmm. you know that's in the mountains i mean it's a cat out of you know or i mean a fish out of water excuse me to take that individual and say all right well you need to be at ducks unlimited Um uh, the, the point that we're that we're trying to make is just is, is get involved because if you like this yeah um and and it's just absolutely awesome if you like this as a hunter as an outdoorsman you got to get involved because there's 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 powers to be, if you will, or individuals out there that don't like what we do. And they think that we're just out to, you know, harm animals and, you know, we're just do it for the killing and, and, and we, they couldn't be any farther from it. I mean, as a, I think I speak for probably all of you guys and, and most every hunter or outdoorsman out there, you know, if I'm driving down the road and I see a deer, you know, caught up in a fence or something, I'm the first one to stop and we're going to figure out how to help that deer. You know that's just it's just the ethical and right thing to do and when we're out harvesting these animals we're not we're wanting to do it ethically and and and, and you know that's the whole reason here we are raising all these monies this money to for these animals why would we want to you know harm them in a in an unethical way right and 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 that it's it's just it's something that i think everybody all of our listeners out there need to know is that get involved and then from that you the amount of friendships that you have, I mean, like you and I, John, yeah. um, been friends for 20 some years yeah. and, and from that, then, then leads to the hunting and, and, and the camaraderie and, and, uh, it's just, it's, it's just a real fun, cool, uh, element, I think, to the, to the hunting, if you will. Um, and, and I'm sure, you know, you, you, you go to your fair share of Ducks Unlimited events all over the country. Um. It's similar everywhere it's same everywhere i mean i know i i moved at one point to arizona the very first thing i looked at was ducks unlimited to try and meet people and 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 it was a good time yeah I mean.
3: no it's truly remarkable and i mean i can tell we've uncovered something here that we've all thought about a good bit i mean this is an interesting piece of Of the conversation because it is true that hunters are, as a proportion of the population and as an absolute number of people in the population, declining most places. I mean, there are some interesting bright spots around turkey hunting or deer hunting, and in certain places, and opportunity matters a lot, but I think something you touched on Kip that we can all think about is that hunters have led on conservation for generations and we could get into why that is i mean for me it feels like i'm a participant out there and i have a responsibility of stewardship that was taught to me by the hunters who taught me and also has been passed on and is as important as as the passion that a, had was awoken in me as I became a hunter. And I really wonder about, you know, as we talked about, but everyone should care about the things we've learned about by being out there, how we can continue to lead. You know, we've got, you said something earlier, you know, they couldn't be further from the truth. And at the moment I, you were saying that I was thinking, and we're so lucky that that is the truth, that we have a great story to tell about being out there connecting with nature connecting with our families and understanding how important it is to have those resources for so many reasons beyond what you know might look kind of like a silly and anachronistic thing to do in the 21st century to someone who's never done it before but we've got something to share and we've got new opportunities to lead you know it might be different than what our forebearers did in the 30s or the 40s to pass the duck stamp act or in the 80s to pass the north american wetlands conservation act but how do we i, I want us all to be thinking about that and you're very right i have conversations like this sometimes late at night sometimes earlier in the day all over the country with people and it's like family and i was like oh yeah you get it too and I think one of our charges is to, is to try to infect folks well beyond the handful of us privileged few who have been able to, to do this ourselves and prove it to ourselves. I think
1: I'd like to build on that just because I'm very excited, I think, of the direction DU is headed with a lot of this because, you know, hunters, they always say, don't forget who brought you to the dance, right? Hunters are the backbone of our our base and our, our organization, but I think we are get, getting a more clear picture all the time that we've got to, you know, if we're going to continue this, we've got to expand. So the expansion there is kind of that ecosystem services opportunities we talked about. Um, just one good example for Kansas are the Western Kansas Playa wetlands, um, the small, small depressional wetlands that are dotted across that landscape. And a lot of that work out there is not on people wanting, you know, farmers wanting to protect wildlife habitat, a lot of that's focused on groundwater recharge of the Ogallala Aquifer. So, when we're having conversations with producers and communities out there that have run a risk of losing their municipal water uh, wells, um, we don't talk about ducks. You, you're talking about groundwater recharge and recharge rates and how this is going to help that that area. So, that's really expanded uh, a new base and, and there's a lot of private corporations that have been supporting that work. Uh, a lot of, of our major donors really like that story. Uh, similar in the east, we've uh, been working with the city of Lawrence at, above Clinton Reservoir and, and been uh, been putting in wetlands that are more, more focused on water quality to help reduce sedimentation into the lake and, uh, and, and nutrient. Uh, into the lake so there's a lot of those opportunities where we might grab some people's attention that may maybe you know du is it's such a great brand but it kind of works against us sometimes because everybody's got these preconceived notions oh that's a beer drinking killing duck organization yeah and that's exactly what we talked about in that (laughs) previous podcast is that you know my
0: my understanding or my thought of pope and young was is that you know a bunch of you know old time (laughs) hoity-toities sipping on bourbon and smoking cigars and you know, and 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 it couldn't be any farther from the truth. It's it's that's us. Yeah, it's well. the 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 four of us sitting here, but but it's also our listeners out there, and and you, you just you, you got to get in, involved. But as you were talking right there, Matt, there were several things that popped into my mind. Is is that you know one other commonality that we all have, all animals, is water, mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's so. I mean that's literally everything that Ducks Unlimited is about is water because it's waterfowl, but we as individuals obviously we all have to have water to, to sustain and 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 every kind of talking we earlier about it we talked about how when you guys have a project it doesn't just it's not just for waterfowl there's so many other positive things that come from that and and how good. Uh, and, and, and that money, how, how well it's spent and, and, and the steward of it. It's just, it's, it's really remarkable. It's really cool, you know, to hear that. Um, I'm going to kind of shift gears here for a second. And, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, the, I had the privilege two years ago, I think it was, uh, of going to Memphis and <coughs> pardon me. You're good. Um, I had the, I had the, the privilege of a couple of years going to Memphis to the Ducks Unlimited. um, is a museum is that the right yeah. term mm-hmm. yeah and uh there in the bass pro shop man that thing it was pretty cool to go through there and you learn and see things that you you, you know i mean as a as an avid waterfowler you know of 20 plus years i mean i was just yeah. amazed mm-hmm. by that thing um one of the things that that really caught me was they had that boat gun oh, on there yeah yeah and and you know how hunting started as you know duck waterfowl hunting started as as a it was a job and it was to bring truly bring meat to the 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 cities as they were starting to to populate and to see where we went from I mean and and then even talk about some of the losses of there's you know certain, some some species of birds that aren't even in existence today and that was less than a you know, hundred and something years ago. Um, do, do, does any do any of you guys know? And I'm getting I'm putting you on the spot. How did that come to fruition? And how did the the museum mm. come come about? Do do any of you know anything about that?
3: Boy, I'm we a, all look at Johan yeah. yeah. like it's his own. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I suppose that I'm going to be very careful here because all a lot of the details are beyond me. But that museum was a a cooperative effort between the Morris family who owns Bass Pro Cabela's and Ducks Unlimited to create that Waterfowling Heritage Center, I think is its sort Mm -hmm. of official name. I can't remember exactly what year that was. That must have been at least 12, 10 to 12 years ago that they created that. And it it took in a lot of effort all over, you know. So you've got all of this rich history of waterfowling. There's a lot of information about waterfowl science and how all those things sort of tied into waterfowl management and the history of that. I mean, it's a pretty incredible place. I think what I'd like to touch on is that 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 was like an effort among scientists all over the U.S. and Canada Conservationists, historians, decoy carvers, yep. retailers. I uh, mean, calls.
1: It, it brought yeah. in
3: the whole community we've been talking about of water fowlers and water fowling, and I think a point not to take us too far back since you're switching gears, mm-hmm. but. Even that waterfowl management piece of it, the beginning of the surveys that are done every spring or any of those things, that was leadership from hunters. The end of market hunting was leadership from hunters to bring about a change that then resulted in better conditions for waterfowl and habitat going forward. So it's a really neat place to stand and just kind of take in. All of that rich history. I yeah. For, for our listeners, if you're ever
0: in the Memphis area, it's right there in the. Uh, it's a it's a pyramid shaped. Uh, I think it's where the Memphis Grizzlies used to play, yeah. and then they've converted it into a a, a Bass Pro. And there's also like a hotel, I think, in there. Mm-hmm. And then there's a there's a lookout tower. It's right on the Mississippi. It's right off the off the interstate. And I mean, if you're in the area, it's definitely well worth the stop. It's 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 quite informative. There's quite a little bit of stuff in there um it just it was really cool my wife was doing some work in that area and so obviously i had to make a stop and then i made a couple more stops because i wanted to because <laughs> i wanted to, to go it was just fascinating to me to to do that but um, um what i want to do here you know as we kind of start to wrap this thing up is is maybe uh, have each one of you and we'll start with john you know with with your specifics in the ducks unlimited what is um, some information or something you'd like to get out there to the, to the listeners out there as to how they can, you know, get involved and and what that looks like and, and, and kind of give them your, your, your two
2: cents or your speech, if you will. Right. So uh, I, obviously uh, the more volunteers that we have, the bigger footprint that we can impress. And, um, you know, uh, if, if your community doesn't have a, a, du chapter and it doesn't matter how big it is some of my best chapters have less than 2400 people in them um you know get in touch with us uh because conservation is important and if if, and if it's not with ducks unlimited get in touch with a conservation organization that's uh pulls at your heartstrings um because we all need help i mean um you've heard both johan and and matt say that there's no stopping. I mean, we, there's not a finish line. And so this is on the continuum and, mm-hmm. you know, well after we're gone. So, um, it's important get involved. Yeah. Make a difference.
0: And I think to take that a step further and I can, I can kind of talk on this because I was, um, I started in ducks unlimited at, on chapter uh, boards and stuff like yeah. that. And, and I started a chapter, but, um, at Kansas state university, but, But I also helped in Arizona with a couple of different ones. And I've been on boards um, here, there, everywhere, if you will. Um, But the more help you can get, the more successful that event is. Because, you know, I know a ton of people. And you know a ton of people. And you know a ton of people. But some of those numbers of people overlap. But if you're trying to put on a chapter where you've got four of your buddies get together to start a chapter. And I speak from experience. Right then you all know eighty percent of the same people. Yeah. So it takes that unfamiliar person or that complete stranger and that thread of the passion for waterfowl right. or the outdoors portion of it to put that together. And man, I'm gonna tell you, it doesn't take five or six like minded individuals to start the chapter to get it going the first year. Right. And then from there with you know John he's a professional he's like you've been doing it for 20 some years yeah you know what you're doing your help they'll help you get it all going and then from there man it really takes off and then yeah. it becomes a fun event and everybody looks forward to it and then the people want to be involved and stuff right and so um i don't know if i've left anything out there with regards no. to getting started but it's no, not that, that difficult no it's not at all and not at all. ducks unlimited uh they can jump
2: online reach out to you. I'm sure all your contact information is out there. Yeah, Uh, first stop would probably be just go to the Ducks Unlimited webpage, ducks.org. And, uh, you know, there's a button you can push that says, I want to volunteer. And it's as easy as that. So we'll get in touch with you and get invited to meet other people on the committee and, and go from there, very simple. Is there any areas in your
0: area that you're specifically focusing on that you'd really like to all of them right yeah yeah
1: the well, neighborhood a neighborhood near you yeah there you go
0: <laughs> matt sure. with regards to your you know area of expertise and and within ducks unlimited can you tell us something on a on a closing note that you you would like to get out there uh, on this platform sure
1: um a couple things um if you're a landowner out there somewhere in Kansas and you've got a wetland that you're struggling with or need some help on or you really like to see it permanently protected with a conservation easement anything like that just reach out to us again go to the the website Uh, the Kansas page has my contact information Um, we'd love to help you we've got biologists across the state that'll come out and visit with you and, and help you on your property technical assistance whatever and then, if you if you don't, and you're just wanting to get involved, um, like you said, uh, you want to uh, volunteer. And we just kicked off our Kansas Water Initiative fundraising campaign, so that's that um, uh, major donor kind of stuff. But that's focused on that water quality, water quantity effort. So if any of that gets you excited, we can visit more about that too.
0: That's excellent. And maybe just to, for I mean, I I have this question, and I'm so I'm I'm assuming that I'm not the only one. let's say that I'm a landowner. What, what is, what constitutes a wetland? Is it a, is it it just because you've got water on it? Is it a pond? Does it have to have so much? What, sure. Define
1: that for us. Typically not like a farm pond, you know, it's, they're usually shallow, um, you know, six to 18 inches deep, uh, seasonally flooded. They often dry up and, and, you know, you can telltale signs are the vegetation. So if you've got cattails, smart weed, um aquatic plants but sometimes it's it's uh they're they're not dry very often apply might be dry every once every eight years you know so uh if you're farming through them and you get stuck that's probably a good good clue (laughs) there you go (laughs) yeah uh on to you johan
0: with regards to listeners out there what's something you'd like to get out
3: you know i appreciate you Kind of giving me the last word in this group, so I want to thank you and your listeners for oh, well, the thank time you. and for having us on. Well, thank you, it's you guys been an for being a enjoyable conversation and and I think these guys covered a lot of really good ground. I won't go back over it. I'll just say I think it's conservation is a challenge for everyone, and those of us who know nature well and are passionate about it have a responsibility to get out there and get involved and try to lead and do what we can to leave this place better than we found it. That's what we've been doing at Ducks Unlimited. That's what we'll keep doing. And we're here. You know, reach out. That really isn't an empty invitation. You could find me quickly on a website and call me directly if if that's of interest, if you're in another state besides Kansas. But if you're in Kansas, you can't do any better than these two guys. So don't hesitate is something people say a lot, but we mean it. You know if there's something we can do to get folks more involved with wetlands we're we're here to do it
0: yeah and that's i think i can i can kind of touch on that is that how approachable you know I, i've found through my entire um dealings with ducks unlimited is is not it's very approachable everybody we've we've all got that again that, that commonality mm-hmm. and and we all have that same passion and and, and there's a definitely a a a a an organized direction at which, which you want to go. And that's all based upon conservation and, and it's, it's a great organization to be a part of. And we're, uh, super stoked to, to have you guys on. Thank you so much for your time here today. I know you guys got a busy schedule and, and, uh, it means a lot to us to have you on the powder and string podcast. And for all of our listeners out there, um, if you haven't already, we'd really appreciate it if you'd go out and uh, like all of our uh, social media pages. We're on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, and then YouTube. We have our channel um, Powder String, and if you subscribe, and you can listen to us on all the podcasts, you know that you wherever you get your podcast at. So, again, thank you, gentlemen, very much. We appreciate it. Thank and you. Until Kip. next time, this is the Powder and String Outfitters podcast. Your hometown shop.